Well, good day, good evening, wherever you're watching. Welcome, I'm Phil Hudson Peller, and I am senior pastor here at Influence Church in Anaheim Hills, California. And we wanna welcome our worldwide audience to this time that we have together to dig into the Word of God, to be challenged, and to be inspired by the Spirit of the living God. So God bless you, each and every one of you. One of the scriptures I wanna begin with today is found in the book of Malachi chapter three and verse 12, and it says, all nations, all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land. I want you to think about that verse, and I want you to think it in the context, first of all, to the nation of Israel. God said, I'm gonna make you a great nation, I'm gonna bless you, and you're gonna be a delightful land. But then I want you to take the application and apply it to us as Americans. Think about this word, it says, all nations will call you blessed. There was a time in the history of America that every person worldwide wanted to be in this place, the United States of America. It was a land truly called blessed by God. It was a land truly said to be a place where you could call delightful. And yet something has changed over the course of time. There have been those things that have happened that have eroded or at least shaken the foundation of this great nation. And I want you to know God wants us to call our nation back to God. God wants to establish a firm foundation in our midst where righteousness and truth prevail above all other things. I love to watch the headlines during this time that we're living in because they're so telling to what's happening in our world. The first one I want to call to your attention reads like this. Chicago jail releases over 13 inmates to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems like we're going the wrong direction. We're releasing prisoners because they might get sick and because the environment is so close quarters. It seems to me like there's another solution rather than release criminals. But the next one, also a Chicago headline, is this one. Chicago mayor threatens to issue citations, arrests for those who ignore stay-at-home order. So on one hand, we have the jails releasing prisoners, and on the other hand, we have the mayor wanting to take law-abiding citizens and put them in the jail. I suppose we had to release them first so we'd make room for law-abiding citizens. But this shows you what's happening in our world. There is a confusion and a delusion that has fallen over the minds of this world. We talked a few weeks ago about the great delusion that is coming, where people will be so confused by what's happening in the world that they will lose track of their God. And I believe we're seeing that happen today. I wanna give you one more headline this morning along with a video clip. During corona pandemic, totalitarianism doesn't shock us anymore. We've repeatedly said that the Bill of Rights has been disregarded. We've repeatedly said that something isn't adding up. There seems to be an overreaching of power by many of the politicians in our day, all under the guise of safety. Well, watch this clip and let's get an idea about what's the perspective we should have. NBC put it on television. Most outlets don't even bother to cover stories like this. The other day, prosecutors in New Jersey charged nine people for daring to participate in a Jewish wedding in their backyard. A few months ago, that would have made the news. 
For 250 years, Americans have enjoyed the unfettered right to practice their faith as they choose. Now they don't. It happened overnight. Last month, Christians across the country were legally prohibited from celebrating Easter in their own churches. The national media barely noted it. How exactly is this happening? Well, it turns out that's not clear. Strangely, not very many people have asked. Politicians have no right to do any of this. They cannot make it illegal for people to go to religious services. The Constitution of the United States expressly prohibits that. The words could not be clearer. The First Amendment explicitly prevents government from making any law that inhibits the exercise of religious faith. That's not a detail or a footnote. It is a cornerstone of our history and of our legal system. Millions of people, probably your ancestors, fled to this country from around the world precisely because our Bill of Rights gave them this guarantee. It's why this country was founded. And in a moment, it's gone. How? Where did politicians get the authority to do this? We see, uh, we see some really interesting things happening in our world, and it causes us to ask some questions and to press in to those fundamental rights given to us as citizens of the United States. Well, when you study Scripture, there is a phrase, and it's actually a technical phrase. It is the series that we're in right now called In That Day. And In That Day is a, is a scriptural phrase that is repeated more than 200 times, and it refers to a number of things. Number one, it refers to a very distinct day, that there's something unique and unusual about that day in Scripture. In fact, in the book of Zechariah, we see in one chapter it's used more than 12 times. It's also a day that's marked out in advance. In other words, when God wanted to say something is going to happen, he said, in that day. And he would point you to usually in time events or times of cataclysmic change where he wanted to get our attention. The third way it's used is a radical change in perspective. Whenever that day happens in society, in history, it causes us to look at life differently, to change our perspective, to ask a question, what's going on and what needs to happen? We use the term a paradigm shift. We use that term to describe what happens when something we thought was true turns out to be quite different than what is actually happening. And we are experiencing a paradigm shift. Those who study paradigm shifts will tell you that a shift never happens without a crisis. Well, my friends, we are in a crisis and there is a change in perspective that is coming. It also requires new strategies. Whenever you have that day in scripture, God is pointing you to look at it differently and create develop new strategies for moving forward that you might be able to, to survive and thrive in the world in which you find yourself. Well, I wanna to talk to you about God in the book of Malachi. As I was studying the book of Malachi, I was so just intrigued by the flow of what was happening in the last two chapters of that book. And I want you to know that God can be trusted. If you haven't stepped back into this, you need to step back and go, I can trust God. It's interesting that our coinage says, in God, we trust. I wonder, do you trust God? The good thing that's happening today, it's causing an erosion of our political system in terms of our trust. Who can we really trust? I believe this can be catalytic to bringing us back to God, bringing us back to revival, bringing us back to the very heart of God. God can be trusted. In Malachi chapter three, 
and verse six, the Bible says, I am the Lord. Just let that kind of set on you for a moment. I am the Lord, I do not change. God says, I haven't changed, you've changed. Change is a creature word. It's designed for us who need to move away from where we are to where we need to be toward God. God said, I am the Lord, I do not change. So the God who loved you yesterday is a God who loves you today. The God who saved you yesterday is the God that saves you in the future. The God who provided is the God who will continue providing for you. Just remember, trust in the Lord. In Zephaniah chapter three and verse 16, it says this, in that day. Now remember, this is a day that's unique. God says, I want you to take note of it. I believe we're living in one of those in that days today. In that day, the Lord your God is in your midst. Can you feel God in your midst? Have you acknowledged God in your midst? Can you just say, God, I thank you for your presence right now. You are in my midst. And when God is in the middle, all the the noisy things that happen around you seem to be unimportant because you are consciously aware that God is in your midst. He's called the mighty one. Oh, you may not feel mighty. God says, you don't have to be mighty. I am the mighty one. And guess what? He says, we'll save. He will rejoice over you. How'd you like to have God just looking at you and said, would you just sit still for a moment? Would you just let me rejoice over you for a few minutes? Would you let me just enjoy you right now? He will rejoice over you with gladness. To have God rejoicing over you with a smile on his face, and he will quiet you with his love. You see, what happens is when love, the love of God comes in, it quiets your heart. When you're, when you're disrupted, when you're uneasy, when things aren't going well, he says, just be still and know that I am God. And it says he will rejoice over you with singing. God says, I want to sing over you today. I, right where you are watching, wherever you are worldwide, I want you just to think about this. God right now wants to sing over you. God wants to bring you to the place where he reminds you of who he is. He says, let's just go through the list. He said he will save. God is a saving God. He's a God who rescues us out of our sin and out of our fallen condition. He is a God who loves us with an everlasting love, and he will rejoice over you. He will rejoice over you. He will look at you and you say, well, what has God got to rejoice over in me? Everything, you're created in the image of God. You're a divine work of almighty God. And he says, I wanna rejoice over you. And then he says, I'm gonna quiet you. When you're disrupted in your world, I'm going to quiet you with my love. And I'm gonna rejoice over you with singing. I'm gonna sing over you all the days of your life. And also Malachi reminds us not just that that God can be trusted, but that heaven is open. Now we talk about an open heaven a lot, and some people say, well, how do you get an open heaven above you? What do we need to do? The Bible says in the Old Testament, God, would you rend the heavens and come down? Would you open heaven and come down? God wants to come down in power. God wants to come down in authority. But you've gotta say, God, there's an open heaven. How do I get an open heaven? Well, I wanna give you something from Malachi, and you may not be uh, aware of what he says about this, but in Malachi chapter three and verse 10, It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. You see, God gives us a a formula right there for an open heaven. He says, when you honor me with your tithes and your offerings, I'm gonna open up heaven. 
And when heaven opens up, guess what? I'm gonna pour out on you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. God says, I'm gonna give you a, a formula for prosperity in the middle of your problems. I've watched this all my life. Ever since I became a believer, I have honored God with tithes and offerings, and guess what? God has blessed every single year, every single day. Why? Because I followed the formula. God says, open heaven up by your tithes and offerings. Bring it into the storehouse that I might bless you. You see, there's something about honoring the house of God. Oh, the house of God has been dishonored right now by politicians. There seems to be an effort to keep the house of God closed by pushing it to the last phase of opening across America. That's not honoring the house of God. You honor the house of God, say it's, it's the house of God. It's the place where it is a symbol of his presence. It is not a prison house of his essence because you cannot restrict God anywhere, anyway, but it is a symbol of his presence. And when we gather, we say we are honoring the house of the Lord. And when we honor the house of the Lord, we also receive the blessings of God. There's something that happens when two or more are gathered in his name, is there not? He says, I'm there in a unique way. Oh, God is with you individually, but when you start to come together, God says, I'm gonna bring about a blessing beyond. It's gonna be exponential of what you saw before. In Malachi chapter three and verse 11, look what he says. I will rebuke the devourer. I want you to notice, and just take a time here to, to look at it, it's a definite article before the word devourer. He's not talking about any devourer. He's talking about the devourer. He's talking about Satan, who is the enemy of your soul. He says, I'm going to personally rebuke the enemy, the devourer, for you. Oh, well, how do I do that? I, it's all a part of the blessing that comes with the tithe and the offerings. He says, I'm going to rebuke the devourer why? That he, notice, there it is, it specifically says, this is a person, he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Now you notice he talks about the fruit of your ground. He's talking about something that's future and present. Whenever you're living in an agricultural world, you plant something and you wait on it. And what happens is all kind of enemies can come against that, that uh, particular agricultural system there along the way. It can be a drought. It can be heat. It can be pestilence. Anything can come up against it and stop the present and the future. God says, when I rebuke the devourer, here's what he says, he will not destroy the fruit of the ground. In other words, what you've planted is going to yield. I'm gonna bring forth a yield beyond what you could ever imagine because guess what? I'm gonna keep my word. Do you know that there's only one time in scripture when God says, put me to the test? And it's in this chapter three of Malachi. He says, put me to the test. I dare you to take me at my word and let me show you what I can do. You see, God will confront your enemy, the devourer. God says, I'm gonna confront, I'm gonna, how'd you like to have Satan come to you and say, and frighten you, and then God says, no, I believe this is for me. I'll take this one. I'm not gonna leave you all alone. I'm going to protect you. I'm gonna ensure your safety. God will protect your future. You see, we worry about tomorrow, don't we? We say, I can manage today pretty well, but tomorrow alarms me. 
What if I don't have a job? What if I don't have food? What if the virus gets worse? And we have all these what ifs. God says, why are you worrying about tomorrow? It's my job to protect your future. It's your job to live for me today, to honor me today with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. You see, God says you're gonna be remembered. How'd you like to be remembered? Don't you love it when people remember your name or remember some deed you did along the way? And they call your name out or they call that deed out and they say thank you and then they repeat your name. Do you know that God has a book of remembrance? Not everyone's in the book of remembrance. Not everyone is remembered by God. The Bible says in Malachi chapter three and verse 16, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. You see, this is fellowship, this is community. When you fear God, you have something to talk about with the people who also fear the Lord. And the Lord listened and heard them. In other words, God says, I'm gonna eavesdrop on your conversation. When you're talking about uh, me and when you fear the Lord, I'm going to be listening and I'm gonna hear you and here's what God does because he hears us. He says, and the Lord listened and heard them so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. Now here's what he says. I'm gonna write some things down. I'm gonna write some things down on those who fear and meditate. You know what you do when you fear the Lord? You do what God says. It's really simple. What does God say on this subject? Now you say, well, I'm not perfect, Pastor. No one is. But guess what? You say, my intent and the bent of my heart is to honor God and to fear the Lord. And when I mess up, when I make a mistake, when something goes wrong, I'm quick to say, God, forgive me. I just wanna confess that to you, and I wanna move on as your son and your daughter in the kingdom of God. God says, I'm gonna write that down. Let me take note of that. Do you remember the context of all of this is in the context of how I get heaven opened with my tithes and my offerings. God says, I'm gonna open heaven, and guess what? You represent those who fear the Lord, who meditate on my name, and guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take note of that. I'm gonna write some things down in my book of remembrance. Well, what's God gonna do with that book? Well, I believe there's coming a day when we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says. And the Bible says we will give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. And the bad is actually a word in the Greek that means worthless. That is, they will not stand the test of fire. And he says, I'm gonna take a list there, and if all I have are those worthless things that I did, then I don't receive a reward. But God's gonna look in the book of remembrance and say, you know, oh, I hear, I see, I see this, I see that. I want, to, I want to give you treasures in heaven. You see, so many people live so much for today and this world that they have no treasures in heaven. They think the, the, the ultimate thing is just to get to heaven. No, God says that's base one. But you wanna move beyond base one. You wanna move into treasures in heaven. Jesus said it by way of command. He said, do not lay up treasures here on earth because rust and moth will corrode and corrupt, but rather lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. So God says it's a command because you have a purpose. There's an eternal purpose for treasures in heaven. We don't know how that currency is going to work in heaven, but how would you like to be bankrupt for eternity? How would you like to have never poured anything into the kingdom and you got in and that's all you did, you just got in, but you couldn't function the way God wanted you to function. A book of remembrance was written for those who fear the Lord, who meditate. You see, it's reserved for those who fear 
the Lord. Let me ask you something. Do you fear God? I don't mean do you, do you coil up in a corner and you're afraid of God. I mean do you fear God? That is, do you respect God for being God? And then he says, I'm gonna record, uh, make a record of those who honor my house. You see, God always points, brings it back to his house. People say, well, you know, you don't have to be a, uh, go to church to be a Christian, do you? Absolutely not. But let me ask you, why would you not be a part of a local church? What keeps you from honoring what Jesus died to establish? Jesus is the head, and he said, my body is the church. And when you honor me, the head, you honor the body as well. And it all comes together because, you see, there's a great day coming. A great day coming. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming. Now that reference, the day, is talking about that day of God's judgment. But God says something's going to happen before that. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. The son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. You may remember that woman with the issue of blood and how she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. And actually what she was saying was she was believing this scripture would bring healing because the wings were, the, were actually describing the prayer shawl that a rabbi would wear and the back part of that prayer shawl was called the wings. And so she was reaching up to touch the wings because she believed this was the coming Messiah and that healing would come to her and indeed it did. In fact, remember what she said uh, as she was healed and then Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples laughed a little bit among themselves. They said, well, you're pressed in on every side. No, I felt the power go out. You know what happens when you touch the hem of his garment? The power comes to you, the power of God. And then Malachi chapter four, verses five and six. I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and the dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Let's just go back to the historical Elijah. Who was he? Why, he was a prophet of God who operated in God's power and revelation. He was a conduit for God on earth. And he, he brought power and he brought healing and he brought transformation. He also called Israel to repentance. God says, when I send the last day Elijah, why, he's going to operate in the power and revelation of God. He's also gonna call the nations to repentance. And he was powerful through prayer and fasting. If you look what marked his life, it was prayer and it was fasting. Do you realize that prayer is the one thing you can't do and get any credit for? And when you try to get credit for praying, you're totally just disregarded. Because it's such a you and God moment where you pray and, you, and no one sees and no one hears and, and you, can, you, you can be a Christian and never pray, but you'll never have power with God. God wants us to have power. I want you to know there was a historical Elijah, but I believe there's also an end time Elijah. And can I just say, can I put an S by that? There's some people that God wants to call out to be end time Elijahs. They're gonna manifest the power of God in their life. 
They're going to have the revelation of God. They're going to hear from God. They're going to speak for God. They're going to look at a situation, assess it, and make a call that is going to be a call that God would make in that situation because they are manifesting the power of God wherever they go. They're living, yes, under this open heaven, but they're living in the fullness of revelation, the fullness of the Spirit, and the fullness of the power of Almighty God. And they will call nations to repentance. We need to all be calling our nation to repentance. We need to be shouting it from the very highest thing. It's not just about American liberty. No, it's about divine liberty. It's about the power of God to set someone free from sin, to be transferred from the power of darkness into the power of light and life. There's going to be a global outpouring of the Spirit and revival coming in these last days. There's going to be a movement of God. Maybe this is the, the match that will set the wood on fire. This time we're living in now where people are so hungry for the house of God, they don't know what to do. They're calling out, God, God, I want to go to church. I want to go to church. And God says, you never wanted to before. What changed? You see, sometimes God takes something away in order to create a desire and a hunger to be in the midst of God in the assembly of Almighty God. You see, we are to call people to God and we're to call them to prepare them for the return of Jesus Christ. You see, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of signs happening all around us that we are close to the end of the age. There's things happening in our world that we never thought would happen. And God says, I'm coming back soon. Are you gonna prepare someone for my return. Are you going to be ready? So here's what I want to do as we conclude today. I want to call you to repentance. I want you, first of all, as a believer to say, I want to turn from my complacency. I want to turn from the way that I've looked at my Christianity as a hobby versus a lifestyle and a living, powerful, breathing Jesus in me. I want to repent of that. I want to confess that, God. And Spirit of God, I want you to fill me with power. I want you to fill me with a spirit of revelation. I want you to fill me with a, with a courage that can only come from you. And then, for those of you who do not know the Lord, can I ask you now, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior right now, right where you sit, right where you listen, right where you're watching? You can become a believer in Jesus Christ right now. The Bible says all who call upon his name, and here's the promise, will be saved. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about getting baptized or taking communion. I'm talking about coming to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Would you be saved right now? Here's how you pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I know it was my sins that put you on a cross to die for me. I believe that you died, were buried, and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And right now I ask you to save me, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I want to be a believer. I want my name written in the, in the Lamb's book of life. I want my deeds recorded in the book of remembrance. I want to be a faithful follower of Jesus. If you've prayed and received Christ today, I want you just to write it right there in your Facebook in, in, and just say, today, Pastor, I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I recommitted my life, if you're a Christian, I recommitted it to be a powerhouse for God, to be a world changer, to make a difference in this world in these last days, whatever days we have left. Would you do that right now? And I want you to know if you did that, God heard you, God listened to you, 
and God wrote your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life, in the Book of Remembrance. And now you can walk for Him and with Him all the days of your life.